Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The religious rulers of Israel had put together 39 separate categories, not violations, but categories of violations that one could cross over and break on any Sabbath day. 39 different categories of these laws. So from sunset on Friday until sunset on Saturday, literally the people of Israel were burdened and laid down with all of these laws. When the Lord God gave Moses the law, he meant the Sabbath to be a day of rest and a blessing for Israel. However, the Pharisees had turned the law into a heavy burden on the people by creating a crazy list of rules that people had to follow. In today's message from Luke, Pastor David teaches us how Jesus answered the teachers of the law when they challenged the behavior of his disciples. The Lord's answer proves that God made the Sabbath day holy so that his children would have a time of rest, not religious rules. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Lord of the Law. Right around October 14th of just this past year, and it's about four o'clock in the morning, the uh, pre-dawn early hours, still dark, and along Highway 7, a police officer out of Morgan, Iowa, noticed an SUV coming at a pretty high rate of speed, and he actually clocked that vehicle at going 85 miles an hour down Highway 7. The speed limit there is 55. So the officer went in pursuit of this individual with lights and sirens going, but the individual showed absolutely no sign of slowing down or stopping. So the officer radioed ahead onto Fort Dodge for some assistance and some backup there as that vehicle continued on Highway 7 toward Fort Dodge. As it got to the outskirts of Fort Dodge, the other officers with their vehicles were there and waiting. This SUV was not slowing down, so they went ahead and put out the stop sticks, and you know the stop sticks. They will stop the vehicle, and sure enough, after the SUV went over the stop sticks, it came to a halt. As it came to a halt, several officers that were there surrounded the vehicle, their weapons drawn, demanding that the driver and any passengers get out of the vehicle and get on the ground immediately. No one moved at all, and so the tension and just the adrenaline of the officers continued to build as they continued to call out for this driver to get out of his vehicle, for the passengers to get out of the vehicle and get on the ground. Slowly, the driver's passenger or the driver's door opened up, and out of that door came Ken Cohen, Ken got out of the vehicle, got down on the ground. They continued to demand that the passenger inside the vehicle get out. But his wife, Rachel, she remained in the SUV, 
trying desperately not to deliver their fourth child there on the highway. Once the police realized what was going on, they carefully transported Rachel into one of the uh, police vehicles and then rushed her with lights and sirens going. In just a little while, in less than an hour, 10-pound Hazel was born, one week overdue. Now the question is, is did Ken break the law? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And not only did he break the law, but he actually put himself, his wife, his future baby, any other motorists along the way, as well as those officers, he put all of their lives in jeopardy. There's no doubt about it. He was guilty. But neither the police nor the county attorney have issued any citations. What we have here in this case are the officials looking at the spirit and the intent of the law beyond the letter of the law. And rather than judgment and condemnation on him, they offered grace and mercy. And so it is with the law of God in our lives. The law has spirit and intent way beyond the letter of the law. And we're going to get hopefully a good lesson of that this morning as we look in the book of Luke, which is where we're at, As we're going through verse by verse through the book of Luke, we're in Luke chapter 6 this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn there with me. Luke chapter 6. As we look at this whole issue of the letter of the law or the spirit and the intent of the law. Luke 6 verse 1. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath? Just to give you the picture of what's going on here, Jesus and some of his disciples were just simply going from one place to another, and as they traveled, they walked through this field of grain. Unfortunately, King James says it's a a cornfield. It's not a cornfield. It's most likely wheat or barley of, of some sort. And as they went through, as would be the normal custom, they just ran their hands along the grain, plucked up a few of the heads, began rubbing them in their hands, again breaking out the chaff and the shell around the grain, and then just eating the grain, kind of like you and I would eat uh, sunflower seeds or popcorn or whatever, just a nice little little snack as they're going along. Yet at the same time, here we have these Pharisees that were watching everything. Now these men were not working. They weren't harvesting the field. They didn't have baskets. They weren't trying to pile them up and tie them in stacks like we see so often in that kind of scene. They simply ran their hands through the grain as they walked, pulled off only enough to enjoy. But for the Pharisees, the one who are always looking for even the slightest infraction of the letter of the law, in order that they might be able to bring some kind of an accusation, even this was too much. And by this time in the history of Judaism, the regulations for Sabbath were extremely harsh, just to say the least. From the simplicity of God's law, man added layer and layer and layer. And this is what happens when more focus is put on the letter of the law than on the spirit and the intent or the heart of the law. By this time, the religious rulers of Israel had put together 39 separate categories, not violations, but categories of violations that one could cross over and break on any Sabbath day. 
39 different categories of these laws. So from sunset on Friday until sunset on Saturday, literally the people of Israel were burdened and laid down with all of these laws. What simply started out as God's blessing for mankind to simply remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy transformed into scores of these minute little details of do's and don'ts. Rather than a freedom to rest from your labors and to have a time of undisturbed worship with the Lord, they now had this huge burden of what they could or what they couldn't do. Some of the more interesting prohibitions that they have included prohibitions against planting and plowing and reaping and grinding on the Sabbath. Now that makes sense. You, you, you want them to stop farming. You, you want to take a break from that. You can farm six days a week, but simply stop on that day. That's well understood. But then they made crazy interpretations of that. Some of those interpretations included not only the prohibition of planting, but also of watering any plants. Okay, you can't water the plants. But it goes beyond that. You could not take a bucket or even a glass of water and pour it out on the ground, perchance that there might be a plant nearby that you were watering, and thus you would be breaking the Sabbath law. One of the other ones they had, of course, a prohibition against plowing. You didn't want to hook up the ox and go plowing your field. Certainly clear, certainly understandable. But they went beyond that. You could not drag a chair across soft dirt on the Sabbath day Perchance you might make furrows in the ground. Perchance a seed might fall on that and begin growing. You could not drag the chair on the soft ground. What about grinding? Normally, we think of grinding, grinding wheat, grinding corn to make flour, to make cornmeal. Understandable. You know, that's, that's a lot of labor to do that. But they also added to that the reality that you could not take your fruits or your vegetables and cut them up into bite-sized pieces. Now, you could cut them up into bigger pieces. That wasn't grinding. But if you cut them into smaller pieces, they considered that grinding, and that was prohibited on the Sabbath day. Writing and erasing. You couldn't do anything with more than two characters. You couldn't write more than two. You couldn't erase more than two on the Sabbath day. Even bathing or... or, or, You couldn't use hot water on the Sabbath day because somehow, some way. That water had to be heated, and the labor of making the hot water was too much to do on Sabbath day. If you're going to take a bath, you couldn't take a a bath in a full tub because that was too close to swimming, and swimming was prohibited on Sabbath day. Even today, when you go to Israel, if you go to a hotel in Israel and you're in, it's during Shabbat or Sabbath from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, the elevator of your hotel stops at every floor. That way, an observant Jew doesn't have to work at pushing the button. Neither are they using electronics. Today, electronics are prohibited on the Sabbath day. All of these things. Aren't you glad that you're under grace and you're not under law? I mean, how crazy. Particularly man's law. Because man's law can get so so minute and so detailed and so burdensome. Now, I say all that to help you to understand that this is the condition of the religion and of the people of Israel when Jesus came to this earth. 
And it's in that kind of a condition, that kind of environment, that Jesus ministered the grace of God to the people. The Pharisees continued to try and trap our Lord, and yet he remained without fault and without sin. He knew the pettiness of the religious leaders. He knew the pettiness of all of their rules. He also knew that they didn't have a leg to stand on in all of these rules and regulations. After all, are you going to argue the law of God with the very Son of God in human flesh? Uh, You would lose every time. Jesus continually brought to light the reality that God's law actually had spirit. It had intent way beyond the letter of the law. Look at verse 3 with me, if you would. But Jesus answered them, after they said, why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, saying, have you not even read this, that David did what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some of those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus brought the Pharisees back to the Old Testament story. As David was fleeing from Saul, his men were hungry. The only place that they could find at that point in time was the tabernacle. They went to the tabernacle. Within the tabernacle, there was what was called the showbread, loaves of bread that were there. They were put out fresh every day. Now, at the end of the day, they would take the old ones out. The priests would then be, only the priests were allowed to eat them. Well, as David and his men came to the tabernacle, the priest that was there says, all we have is the showbread. And yet David and his men were hungry. Only the priests were allowed to eat it, but yet that priest gave the bread to David, and therefore he and his men were nourished by the bread. And Jesus brought this out to him because he knew that if the Pharisees spoke against it, they would be speaking against David. But David was allowed to move, he was allowed to act in a manner that was above the letter of the law because of his men's hunger. Thus Jesus, again, was in essence declaring the same thing, and and the Pharisees didn't have an answer for it. Jesus finished this up by making that statement, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. What a powerful statement that is to make declaring for himself as the Son of Man before these Pharisees. And yet, The Pharisees, understanding that it was Jehovah that instituted the Sabbath way back at the very beginning of creation, six days he labored, on the seventh he rested. And yet they weren't able to answer Jesus at this point. There was nothing that they could say. So let me ask you this. Did the disciples, as they went through that grain field, did they break the law? Interesting question. They broke man's law, but they didn't break God's law. They broke the rabbinical law of the day. There's no doubt about that. And according to the Pharisees, they were literally reaping and grinding as they pulled the stalks off and as they rubbed them in their hands. But in no way had they broken either the true law of God or even the spirit or the intent of God's law. As a matter of fact, they were in the presence of God in human flesh as they walked through that grain field. They weren't breaking his law at all. The fourth of the Ten Commandments is this. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11. So God gave the Sabbath in order that we would stop. In order that we would stop. Literally to make man stop from his labors and rest. The day was required to be regarded as as holy, as set apart, as sanctified. It was a special day that was extended to the whole household, including the servants and, and the animals. The fact is, how many of us, even today, wish we had some time, sometimes, wish we had an extra hour in the day? How, how many of us sometimes say, oh, if I just had another day this week to accomplish all that I want to do or, or need to do? But the problem is, those extra hours, you know what we would do? That extra day, you know what we would do? We would fill it up. We would fill it up with all the stuff that we get so involved in. God gave us the Sabbath, actually, as a blessing to man, to cease from his labors and and to remember that all of our well-being, our our substance, our sustenance, all of it comes from God. No matter how hard I work, no matter how many hours I put in, I need to stop and realize, you know what, it's not my labor that provides for me, not in the grand sense of things. It's God that provides for me. And I need to stop in my journey throughout the week to recognize realize and acknowledge the fact that it's God who provides for us. The Pharisees had changed that day of God's blessing, and it made it a day literally of God's condemnation and God's judgment. As Again, there were so many rules that the people were weighed under that it lost the meaning, it lost the use of that time of bringing glory and praise to God to offer up a thanksgiving for his blessing because of the previous week and because of the week that's yet to come. It was never intended to be a burden. It was intended to be a blessing, both to man as well as to God. And early on in the life of the church, the day that was set aside for remembrance, for praise, for prayer, and for study, instead of on Saturday as the Jews did, the early church moved it to Sunday. The first day of the week. That was the day of the Lord's resurrection. That's what we read in our word of the Lord's day. As they gathered together on the Lord's day, it was on Sunday. We find it in the scripture that the disciples came together then. Even then, it wasn't a day to to be a burden, but it was to be a day of prayer and praise and study in the word of God. In writing about the fourth commandment, Martin Luther, a great reformer of, of the church, wrote these words. He says, on such a day of rest and freedom, time should be taken to attend divine services so that we come together to hear the word of God and the things of God and then to praise God, to sing and to pray. However, this, I say, is not so restricted to any time as with the Jews, that it must be just on this or that day. For in itself, no one day is better than another. But this should indeed be done daily, daily. We ought to be creatures of worship 
and acknowledging the reality, not only of the greatness of God, but his provision in our life in a daily way. Even as the word tells us in the New Testament, all that we find to do, give glory to God. And everything that we do with our hands, giving glory and recognition to God, whatever it might be. Luther continues on. He says that whatever hour then God's word is taught, preached, heard, read, or meditated upon, there the person, day, and work are sanctified thereby. Not because of the external work, but because of the word which makes saints of us all. Therefore, I constantly say that all our life and work must be ordered according to God's word, if it is to be God-pleasing and holy. Where this is done, this fourth commandment is in force and is being fulfilled. Is it a day? Is it an hour? No, it's a life. It's the life of how you and I live our lives. Jesus actually is the completion of our Sabbath. We understand that. We know that yet for us there remains a Sabbath rest at the end of this time, at the end of this life that we're living. But our lives ought to be lived literally as every day as a Sabbath, giving glory and honor to God. So here this morning in our text, and so in life, these Pharisees, And the spirit of Phariseeism is more concerned about law and rule, never looking beyond the surface of absolute external compliance. You've got to fit your life within this box. Those who have that spirit of Phariseeism. Oh, and yes, we've got that even in the church today, don't we? That you've got to be this way, and if you're not exactly in this place, in this form, in this style, then you're wrong. Beloved, there is great freedom in Christ. Not freedom to sin, but freedom to live our lives fully for his glory. Jesus fulfilled the law of God, but he also met the greater need of the people. And so he can offer grace and mercy in the midst of all of our failures. Jesus cared about people. He was concerned about the conditions of our hearts and the spiritual well-being of all of our lives. And so he fulfilled the letter of God's law, as well as the spirit and the intent of the law. The Pharisees, they expect the people to meet the exact requirements of man's law. And that's why they are so quick to bring judgment and condemnation. But our Lord is Lord of the Sabbath, and he is Lord of the law. And he brings grace and mercy mixed with the law. Are you bound to the letter of the law, or do you live your life in the spirit and in the intent of the law? You see, if you're bound to the letter of the law, that means externally you're doing all the right things. But it may or may not do anything at all on the inside. If you're living your life to the spirit and the intent of the law, then that means that your life from the inner man is really desiring to please God in every way. Are you under judgment and condemnation? You are if you're trying to live by the letter of the law. But when we live by the spirit and the intent of the law, we live our lives with the fullness of grace and mercy of God 
being poured out into our lives. I'm thankful that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and as such, He continually offers mercy and grace to us. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.